Hello, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. Well, welcome everybody. Uh, I am here with Jared Patrick Boyd today. Jared, remind me what part of the states you're from. Yeah, I'm in Ohio. Ohio. I uh, I did not study American geography in school. <laughs> That's somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah, in the middle. Yeah. So think think sh- Chicago, yeah. and just about six hours like southeast of Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that helps locate it for me. Wonderful. Jared um, is part of the Vineyard Movement, uh, pastor and author and a founder of the Order of the Common Life, which is a missional monastic order that kind of birthed up out of the Vineyard Movement. And so, when I first found out about him, I was so excited. I'm like, ah, another missional monastic order guy. And and particularly out of the Vineyard Movement was, was um, yeah, just found really exciting and delightful. So, I chased him down and uh, I'm really happy that Jared's here to have a conversation today. So, Jared, talk to me a little bit about um, well, let's 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 talk about the order of the common life to begin with, and I'm interested in what that is, what that looks like for you, and then we'll go on after that to talk about how it came up out of your vineyard background. Yes, great. So, thanks first. Thanks for having me. This is wonderful. It's also been really great just to chat with you a little bit um, and to to learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing. But the order of the common life is a missional monastic order, and most of I, I think what I'm trying to do is imagine the Jesuits or the Franciscans burst out of the vineyard in the 21st century. And a little little background and context for that is that I, I spent about three or four years just doing a deep dive into the history of monasticism, just researching and reading and all that kind of stuff. And as we went to go write our rule of life, which was around 2012-2013, I tried to take the best of historic monasticism and breathe a little vineyard into it. And that's sort of who we are, as best as I can tell. And, but, you know, we, uh, you know, are obviously on this sort of iterative process over the past nine or 10 years. So, we're about, I'm about 10 years into this journey, personally, but most of the people who are with us are maybe five, five or so or less years into the journey. And, um, and so in, in a lot of ways, we're trying to bring together the contemplative and the charismatic worlds into one place. Hmm. So, so you're saying that the best of sort of the monastic world and history and a little bit of, of vineyards to so talk to me, which, you know, what, 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 what treasures have you taken and from the past and are trying to incarnate into your current context? What are those bits for you? Yeah, I think probably, you know, one of the main vows in monasticism, as I have come to understand it, is the vow of the conversio morum or conversatio morum, the, the conversion of manners, the conversion of one's life. And the way that we talk about that, the way that I talk about that is this ongoing process of sort of tilling up the soil of your life, exposing everything before God and community and allowing the spirit of God to do his healing work on you. And so I think the, the monastic spirituality that's come before us has really been about communion and union with God. That's the goal. And so I'm just trying to explore what does that look like 
um, without all of the medieval trappings. <laughs> you know, so I'm not wearing. A so robe. you're not going to shave the top of your head for a tonsure and, and no. wear like hair shirts and no. But is it in the Benedictine rule like don't go to bed with your knife in your belt still? Yes, no. that's right. That's a very <laughs> well. I mean, we're definitely keeping that around, but uh, but yeah, you know, just you know, when most people think of monasticism, you know, and there's a reason that monks and nuns have worn the clothes that they wear, and we're trying to modernize that a little bit as well. But most people think of this very sort of robe, you know, uh, covered, you know, rope around the waist, barefoot through the city kind of expression of monasticism, all of which had its rightful historic place. But, you know, Merton and others, you know, through the 60s and 70s, post-Vatican II, were always talking about, you know, this thing is going to have to get reimagined. It's going to have to get reformed in order to last and I think you guys and, and we and others are trying to do that work. And so here we are, we're all just iterating, trying to figure out how do we take this thing into the 21st century in a way that's really transformational for people. Yeah, I call it the big experiment. You know? Yeah. So yeah. what could happen if, what could happen if we did this or if we did this? Yeah. But it was interesting that you were talking to about Jesuit or Franciscan spirituality Talk to me a little bit about the the, Jes the threads of Jesuit spirituality that, that give life to what you're doing today. Yeah, great question. I think, you know, we talk a lot about discernment in our order and our whole process of postulancy, which we could talk about, uh, and, and the novitiate is really a process about discerning whether or not there is an invitation to join the order of the common life. So, we we talk a lot about invitational language, a lot about discernment, and um, we just take seriously the, the fact that God gives us desire, emotions, imagination to help lead us. And those are all very Ignatian in their form and principle. Desire, imagination, emotions, those are like really important. And a lot of people, when they think about monasticism, they think of real asceticism, which we also want to be a part of, but um, not to the degree that it sort of, uh, you know, pushes out all of the things that make us a human being, rightfully so. Also, I, I think for us in the Order of the Mustard Seed, I would agree to a lot of that has informed our thinking and our, our practice, of, you know, in terms of discernment and stuff. Um, I think the the piece from Jesuit spirituality too that that's been life giving for us is finding God in all things, right? Finding God yeah. in all things. So in the twenty four seven prayer movement, we would set up twenty four seven prayer rooms, and I, I remember having a conversation with a pastor, and uh, we're talking about you know his goal to get his congregant praying for an hour in the prayer room, you know, in a week, and my internal response is like, "Where's your ambition?" <laughs> One hour once a week, you know, when, I mean, the longing and the desire to see followers of Jesus who are attentive and responsive and awake to the presence of God, you know, in, in all of life. I think that's the, I think that's what's kind of got stirred up in me as I, you know, looked at um, Ignatius and what, what his gift to the church. Talk to me about the Franciscan impulse. Yeah, I think probably the thing with the Franciscans is this willingness to go anywhere mm. and, you know, 
on mission, to be on mission. And, you know, our long-term desire is to have a monastery on a piece of land um, where people can come for a season of, you know, three to seven years, but maybe not for life. Um, but in the meantime, and probably for a while, our order is dispersed like your own all throughout the world. And um, in that regard, there's like a Franciscan feel to it where, you know, Franciscans, uh, to my to my awareness, predominantly haven't closer together, but they've predominantly been on mission out in the world, in the cities. And uh, that's, that's sort of what, what and who we want to be. Yeah. And then you sprinkled in the vineyard. So really, you've been doing genetic engineering. Exactly. Right? Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> alchemist. You're an alchemist. Um, and, uh, and so talk to me about what, what from the vineyard DNA. I mean, I come from the vineyard church. I lived in Toronto in, in the mid-90s, which is probably as vineyard as that's right. <laughs> wildly vineyard as it goes. Um, and, and just have a great love for the vineyard movement and its gift, many, many gifts to the church all over the world. Um, so talk to me about what bits of the vineyard have informed your process. Yeah. Wow. You know, so I've been in, in, in the vineyard for 26 or 27 years. Um, I stepped into a vineyard church in 1994 and just got dumped with the love of God on top of me. And I think most of my life since then has been trying to figure out how to give that away. And I think the thing about the vineyard that is so powerful for me is just our little phrase, come Holy Spirit. And I think more than genetic sort of tinkering or DNA work that as you described it, I think that what has happened is I've recognized that all of the gifts that the vineyard has given me over the past quarter century are also things I'm discovering in these very contemplative traditions. And so, you know, even if, if anybody has ever been to a vineyard church, you know, what, what we do that is so central is we, we pray for one another. We say, come Holy Spirit. And we expect that the, the spirit of God will come and speak to us and offer healing. And we lay hands on each other. And part of what I'm trying to, wonder is if our life can be shaped to the degree that we could not only expect that to happen like in a moment like in a room in toronto for example in the mid-1990s where everyone's like falling down <laughs> but that we could have the patience and the courage to say come holy spirit and then wait a year in this mm. slow process of expecting that god would show up in the places of quiet and silence and solitude and so that's how I see some of that vineyard DNA sort of coming about. Yeah. No, oh, that's beautiful. Wonderful. And I, I think, too, the other, well, my wondering around the vineyard DNA, too, is this whole sense of everybody gets to play. That's right, like yeah. There isn't sort of like, there's the clergy, you know, you're the laity. It's like, no, we all get to do this. So these missional monastic orders like yours, like ours, it's kind of a way of saying, right, guys, we can all do this. So let's do it. <laughs> That's right. You know, yeah. we can all live a consecrated life. We can all like live a life that's super compelling as we follow Jesus. You know, the idea that myself, I'm a father of four girls, um, that I'm sort of living this uh, monastic styled life or 
sort of borrowing from the monastic spirituality, um, I think also, yeah, carries that sort of everybody gets to play. Like even I get to like benefit from this rich tradition. So I agree. That's a great observation. Yeah. You just used the phrase consecrated life. So not everybody's going to be familiar with that phrase. Tell us what you mean by it. I think, I think I probably mean just set apart life that there's a sense in which I want the shape of my life to look very different than the world. And I think that at the root of historic monasticism, particularly at its earliest stages when men and women were heading into the desert, um, there's a sense of like, I really desire to be with God. And that will require some constraints and some, some real sort of what we would say like ascesis or the ascetic tradition um, that will help me sort of uncover all the layers that are not of God in my life and to allow God to sort of see all of it. And so I think that's the life that we're, we're trying to introduce people into and it doesn't have to look weird and crazy. (laughs) Although it can sometimes, but it it can. Oh, wonderful. Talk to me about your formation process. So if I was to come and knock on your door and say, I want to join the order, what do I do? Uh, are you are you like in a Benedictine style? Do you leave me outside the door for three days? Or <laughs> so talk to well, me about that process. That's great. It's super slow. Everything we do is pretty slow. Um, and so right now we we do our postulancy cohort. Um, in the spring and in the fall. And so if somebody were to come to us like right now, we just launched our cohort six weeks ago. And so we would say, yeah, you gotta, you gotta wait for the fall. And so it would have that sort of sense of like, I'm now standing outside the monastery door. Right. But we, we would, we would welcome you. We would say, Hey, we'd love to engage with you. Uh, We do have some cohorts starting in the fall. Um, We'll reach out to you when we have more information about what that looks like. And Whenever we have a group of 10 or 12 people that are interested, we form a cohort around those 10 or 12 people. Increasingly, though, those are being done regionally. So we have a cohort of people, I think 14 people in New York City right now. Um, And so our our long-term goal will will be to have chapters that are more regionally based. Um, So our postulancy is a six-month process. Um, Postulancy just a fancy word from the latin word postulare which means to ask and at the core of what our postulancy process is is a journey through our rule of life with really asking the question am i experiencing an invitation to live in this way with these people and so we just lead people through a 24-week process um, some teaching from me some conversation with a cohort and we're just asking them to ask that question. We also pair them with a spiritual director. So everybody that goes through our process of discernment uh, gets paired with a spiritual director who journeys with them um, if they don't already have one. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And then what happens at the end of that process? The end of that process, we ask them to take a couple of weeks into uh, two to four weeks and to, to make a decision whether you want to go on or not. And if you say yes, 
then we welcome you into the novitiate experience, which can be uh, at minimum 18 months. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's an opportunity that we have for people who start to feel in their novitiate process like they want to make vows, but we don't require anybody to make vows. So technically you could be a novitiate for like 10 years if you wanted. Yeah. Um, so the novitiate process really has three stages. We ask everybody to go through the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. We lead them through that, through a, a network of spiritual directors that we have trained for that. And we ask them to discern a course of study. And so we help people think through what a healthy course of study would be for their life and for the invitation that they're experiencing. So for example, our commitments around simplicity to, to food and clothing and technology and possessions. Let's say you come through our process and you feel really compelled in prayer by simplifying your life around food, for example. For, for some reason, God has sort of pricked this in your heart. Um, we would help you develop a course of study that would help you explore why is God asking me to think more about the food I put into my body? And what does that say about God's invitation to me in this present season? So we would help uh, a novitiate form a course of study. And, um, and then the third thing that happens in the novitiate process is that we ask people to think about a more particularized rule of life that comes underneath our shared rule of life, our common rule of life. So my commitment to simplicity around clothing, for example, um, does not need to be what somebody else's commitment around clothing. So I've got my own personalized expression of our commitment, but not everybody shares that same thing. So we just ask people to think about what do you want your specific life to look like under our rule of life. And so then we help navigate people through that process. Yeah, we, we do that as well. We call it a personalized customary, you know. Oh, good. Yeah. That, that's, that's kind great. of built around the, the framework of our, our rule of life. Great. And so then talk to me about life in the order. Once you've gone through your postulancy, your novitiate season, um, you know, each order has sort of commitments and practices that are at the core of it. So what, what is that for you guys? Yeah, so our, our order has four rhythms of life and 12 commitments. And um, man, that, that would be a lot for me to say. I, I'll just point people to our website. But, yeah. um, you know, what we're asking people to do is to always sort of have the rule of life before them in their life to meet monthly with a spiritual director, to meet monthly with a formation group, a group of three to four people, to lean into spiritual friendship, um, and to sort of keep tilling up the soil around these commitments. Um, what is God inviting me to think about regarding my possessions or regarding my participation in scripture or in prayer? Um, both contemplative and, at, and active prayer. So, um, and then we create context for people to just keep leaning into that work, keep tilling up the soil in the conversion of their life. Um, 
to become people who ultimately, at the end, know how to love others as God loves. That's our goal. That's beautiful. So you said that you are a dispersed order. And so how do you, I was asking this for my friend, Catherine, who leads the Northumbria community. It's just an interesting question. So how do you kind of hold that space for your larger community and help cultivate a cohesiveness in the midst of everybody being, you know, uh, planted wherever, you know, they're all embedded in their, their locale where God's put them. How do you, how do you kind of hold that together? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think we're probably still figuring that out. (laughs) Um, Right now. So this is where, the idea of a common life comes into play. Mostly historically, this has been thought of as a common life that one that, that we share underneath one roof, for example. Our common life is these common commitments, these commitments to live in this particular way. And um, we, I teach through our rule of life over the course of a year. So over this year, I'll teach one of our commitments every month. And then we have an online community and online network. That's sort of a private um, space where we get to dialogue through our commitment. Um, And every month we just dialogue through a new commitment and people are dialoguing in their formation group. Ultimately what we hope will happen over the next decade is that regionally there would be some chapters that emerge and that there would be, sort of a good um, number of people in that region that could, could gather once a year. Um, so I suspect that until then, we will probably uh, try to start gathering as an order um, once a year every, or, or every two to three years, sort of depending on all sorts of things. But this is, this is a great question. I think it's a hard thing to figure out in a dispersed order. Um, particularly given that we don't have all of the levers to pull that historic orders have had regarding sort of the structure of church and the ecclesiology. I think that's one of the things that we're faced with, right? So. Great. So I'm, I'm quite curious. Well, I'm delighted when I I found out about the work that you have been doing around spiritual formation with children and and it came out, actually, because as we're developing sort of a localized expression of the Order of the Mustard Seed here at Waverly Abbey, we, we, we have this family come in and, and, and sort of embed quite deeply with us and, and really wanting to, you know, build into their children, you know, some of the values of ethos and, and to share that experience with them. And so we were looking around because we love doing the prayer of examine, like we host a nightly mm-hmm. examine online and it's a big part of, of what we do. And, and uh, we're like, there's got to be examines for kids. <laughs> you know, how do we do that? And so we went out, we, you know, we Googled it. And, and so we looked it up and then we found you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so talk to us about your book and the work that you've been doing around spiritual formation and children. Yeah, so my book is called Imaginative Prayer, A Year-Long Guide to Your Child's Spiritual Formation. And it was published in 2017 by InterVarsity Press here in the, in the U.S. And um, it basically came out of my own experience of going through the Ignatian exercises, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. Um, 
realizing that I was having such a profound encounter with God um, and not having any idea how I could pass this along to my kids. I was just like, I felt stuck as a young father trying to figure out how do I, how do I pass on what I'm presently experiencing of God rather than the thing that I grew up in, which was very sort of um, rules-based. I, I, I just think that so much of the churches that I grew up in were really trying to make me a better kid. <laughs> and I'm more interested, <laughs> I'm more interested in helping kids really connect with Jesus. And so I just started experimenting on my kids um, as all good parents do. <laughs> and I just started trying to help my kids enter into an imaginative prayer space. Uh, Cause I could see them, you know, playing little women. I have four girls, so they were always playing little women growing up. And, and I thought, <laughs> man, they're so good at this imagination thing. I've had to really work at imagining my way into a prayerful space. I wonder if this could work. And so I just began to do it and I began to write and I began to field test it in our local church. And two, three years later, I had, you know, um, a bunch of these prayers and someone said, you should publish it. I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And at that time it started to take on this form of like, I wonder if we could do like an imaginative prayer catechism. Could we catechize kids? Could we do this catechesis through this very experiential prayerful posture? And um, yeah, so that, that came up. Uh, finally into the imaginative prayer book um imaginative prayer book is a collection of 36 imaginative prayers and it's really written for parents or for church leaders to guide children through scriptures and through um experience with uh you know encountering god in the imagination hmm. we we experienced it because one of the things that we've done with our local expression is that the kids lead one of our prayer slots every couple of weeks. So, Lovely. so they can do whatever they want with us <laughs> and they plan it and they're like super excited about it. And, you know, maybe we have to wear weird hats or bring a stuffy or something, but, but one of the recent times they took us through one of your exercises. So one of them oh, was wow. enough to know how to read. And so they, they just took us through it and it was so lovely to be invited into that space by, you know, by children and to, uh, for them to facilitate that experience for us. And uh, so that was a real gift to us. And so we're starting to use that resource now and, and looking forward to how we can integrate it, you know, into, into what we're doing and, and uh, make it available to, to members of our order who want experience that. I, I'm, I'm curious. And so we'll, we'll make sure we link to that so people can see where they can access that resource. I just think it's Really, really great. I would love to see uh, more out there that we can be, those of us who are new monastic experimenter practitioners, you know, what we can be doing for families and developing family resources, I think. Mm. Um, but talk to me just a, a few minutes. I know we're going a bit longer, but this is a good chat. So we're, we're just going to keep going. Talk to me about the imagination, because in the evangelical church, you know, we are allergic <laughs> to using our imagination in prayer. We're afraid that Jesus is going to grow purple hair, 
you know, and, you know, a penguin is going to fall from the sky on our head, you know, and that's just weird things that if we open up the imagination, anything could happen and it probably will be bad. So we are suspicious of the use of imagination in our spirituality. And so what would you say to those of us who struggle with that? Yeah, I think the thing that we forget is that um, Christ is in us. The, the Apostle Paul says that, that Christ lives in us and that we now have the mind of Christ. And so, for those who are following Jesus, who are believers, there's, a, there's something real happening where the Spirit of God comes and dwells in our body and stitches himself to us and is in the process of making us a temple. Uh, both both individually and collectively. And um, I, I look at Jesus and I watch him teach and he's constantly asking people to picture things in, his, in their minds in order to understand the kingdom. Now, he doesn't use that word, but he says things like, the kingdom of God is like a field or it's like a man who had two sons or, you know, the kingdom of God is like, is like this, or I am the vine and you are the branches. Like there's all this imagery because the kingdom of God is hard to get our mind around. And I I guess I just figured if Jesus used all of these sort of analogies and metaphors through images to try to get across what the kingdom of God is like, that we we should consider whether we may do that as well. And so... Um, I, I think that at the, at the beginning of every time I come into imaginative prayer, I say, come Holy Spirit. And I guess I just trust that the Holy Spirit will, will use the material that, that, that is our bodies and is our, our imagination for, for his purposes and good, you know? So I don't know if that's always satisfactory for people, but um, <laughs> I I tend to then just say to people that, you know, maybe I could lead you through a process and just see what God does. Ask God to speak right to your heart. And more often than not, um, people have an encounter with God. Yeah. So. yeah, I think some of my experiences have been of sometimes God speaks to me and sometimes Parts of me speak to me, and I need both of those conversations. That's, so that's stuff beautiful. That kind, of, kind of wells up in my subconscious. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that I believe that. That's right. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, it takes us into that maybe unguarded space where we can confront, well, we could be confronted by things resident in our, in our, you know, our psyche and our hearts that we wouldn't have maybe touched if we were just rationally just trying to list you know, where we were at. So, no, that's really, really good, really helpful. Well, this has been really, really rich, and I'm sure we could have more conversations, and we probably will have more conversations. But but I'm, I'm really delighted to have this opportunity to, to chat with you. And and um, and I just wanted to make sure that our, all of our vineyard friends, and I'm going to send this to all my vineyard friends in the UK, know about what you're doing mm. and um, and know that that, those of you who are in the vineyard movement and, and beyond, you don't have to just be vineyard, but, but if, you, if you're feeling this missional monastic impulse, this movement, well, I, I feel like what I've seen 
is, is this exodus almost of evangelical charismatics going on the contemplative journey, mm. right? I just mm-hmm. see it everywhere I go. And so, um, and, but for some of us, that feels like a, a perilous journey. And so, if there are some, some guides who we trust, maybe because they come out of our tradition, Mm-hmm. And um, that that can show can signpost us the way forward. So I I just think you're a gift to uh, the Vineyard Movement. I think you're a gift to those of us in the Free Church who are on the missional monastic experiment. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to get to know you and and to hear your heart and all of this. So could you could you pray for us as we finish up? I would love to. Um, I would love to. So. I guess wherever you are, I just invite you to maybe rest your hands on your lap, just open-handed. Come Holy Spirit. And I pray God that wherever your sons and daughters are sitting or standing or walking, pray God that you would come right now and that you would envelop each person with your love and your kindness and your generosity. I pray, Lord, for gifts to be birthed in this moment. We thank you that you are our Father. We entrust our lives into your hands. And we entrust the lives of others into your hands. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go.